For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel and former House Speaker Chris Steele sitting in for Neva Hill, joining me over Zoom video conference. Oklahoma Commissioner of Health Lance Fry resigned his position late last week with little explanation. The decision came a day after the health department settled a lawsuit allowing non-binary residents to note the choice of re on reissue of birth certificates. Ryan, why do you think Fry left the position? Well, you know, that's a good question. And, and I even asked before we started taping this that's morning, right. Michael, is just, it, am I the only one speculating here? And, and apparently I'm not. I, uh, there are uh, a million different theories out there. You know, one is, you know, tied to the birth certificate issue that that uh, uh, with non-binary Oklahomans that came up uh, earlier this week. And, you know, Governor Stitt's reaction to that, you know, he said that, you know, there were going to be consequences. And, you know, uh, some folks, whenever Fry resigned immediately, pointed to, well, perhaps these are the consequences that uh, Governor Stitt was talking about. But you know, if you look at uh, uh, Commissioner Fry's time uh, at the Oklahoma Health Department. I mean, he has been there largely through the pandemic. Um, you know, he's had uh, some tremendous success. Uh, you know, the initial vaccine rollout in the state of Oklahoma was you know, really the model uh, for for the nation. You know, we were uh, we were the envy of a lot of states that were having difficulty rolling their vaccines out. But he also had a difficult time. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with a lack of transparency coming out of the health department. And, you know, reporters pushing for information to be re released, in particular information related to COVID-19 and Oklahoma's uh, protocols and where Oklahoma stood in terms of patient uh, count and hospital bed availability. And those were issues that uh, I think made the health department's, um, the, the confidence that Oklahomans could have in the health department go down because, you know, they, they had unanswered questions and the reporters had to twist arms to get answers. Um, so. We'll see. It, you know, the, there, there were other resignations that happened at the health department earlier this week. Uh, it's uh, difficult to overstate how important the health department's mission is for the state of Oklahoma. Uh, it is. And maybe that's maybe that's one of the reasons that we've seen such turnover at the director level is that their mission is so broad mm -hmm. uh, and their charge that's been given to them by the legislature is so, so big. And it's even gotten bigger over the last few years with the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority being underneath the health department. Uh, you know, that in and of itself has become a huge regulatory lift for the state of Oklahoma. And they're doing it within an agency that is or a department that is that is you know, kind of plagued by turnover and scandal and litigation all the time. Speaker Steele, great to have you here with us today. Why do you think that uh, Commissioner Fry left? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Michael. Ryan, it's great to to see you and and, and be able to engage in this conversation alongside of you. Uh, I would also just want to reiterate that at this point it is speculation. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of things to underscore. Uh, Ryan said this, but the importance of this state agency, the importance of the Department of Health, especially at this time, uh, I think is critical. And the reality is this agency, unfortunately, uh, has been plagued with controversy for a number of years, and that's not in anyone's best interest. And so ultimately what we hope for is stability um, in leadership and stability in the ability of this agency to carry out its its function. I think it's, 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 it's vital uh, at this point in time. I would also just offer that um, health issues, in my opinion, should absolutely not be political. Mm -hmm. 
and unfortunately, it appears that that's become the case not only in Oklahoma but across the nation, which is, um, I, I think, potentially detrimental for a lot of reasons. Um, I would just assume, I think, with a lot of other Oklahomans, that this immediate departure with little known um, uh, facts about why is likely related to the, the federal court's ruling that non-binary Oklahomans are um, allowed to uh, change their birth certificates to reflect uh, who they are. And I would just also offer that um, it's important for us to consider, or at least at least think about how a majority of conservatives um, uh, most of the time would support individual rights and individual freedom uh, uh, until or unless it, it, it deals with something that we might disagree with. And I think that it's important that we um, pay attention to being consistent in what our values are. The 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals puts on hold Oklahoma's first execution since 2015. The court granted request of stays for John Grant and Julian Jones while their lawyers argue the unconstitutionality of the state's lethal injection protocol. Earlier this week, a federal judge denied the stay for Grant, Jones, and five other death row inmates. One note, we are recording this Thursday morning, and the state can still appeal the stays to the U.S. Supreme Court. So, Speaker Steele, what are your thoughts on the back and forth of the execution situation? Well, first of all, I would say that in relation to the recent stay of these executions by the, the, the federal government, I think that's we can score a win for due process. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that that's exactly what should happen. Listen, the reality is there is a plenty of reason to question uh, the drug cocktail that's being used in Oklahoma, particularly with this drug um, midazolam, if I'm saying that right, and the effects that that has on an individual. I mean, there's just a recent e execution, I believe, in Texas that demonstrated even more controversy and the fact that it it, it, it makes it, it's equal to waterboarding and, and the effects that it has on an individual and the way they feel and suffocating and, and whatever else. And, and ultimately, our Constitution prohibits uh, the use of cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's time to, to, to rethink the death penalty uh, in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, again, going back, making sure that our values are consistent, either we're pro-life or we're not. And I think it's always been a little bit of a stretch to think that you can be pro-life on one end of the spectrum and not pro-life on the other end of the spectrum. And so ultimately, I think it is absolutely imperative that we take our time, that we get it right, and that we resolve all the, the questions that may um, arise in relation to uh, the treatment of every human being in the state of Oklahoma and the fact that there is so many questions left unanswered around this current drug cocktail uh, makes me support, uh, very much support the decision uh, to implement a stay. Ryan. Well, and so to kind of unpack because there's for our listeners, because there are so many different uh, intersections of different moving cases uh, and appeals and requests for commutation that are all kind of wrapped up in this. Um, you, know, you know, first and foremost, this is a federal lawsuit brought by, I believe, 30 uh, different uh, uh, individuals that have been convicted of uh, crimes and, and been sentenced to the death penalty in the state of Oklahoma that have appealed to the federal government saying that the execution protocol that the state of Oklahoma is using uh, is um, cruel and unusual punishment and a violation of the Eighth Amendment. 
Now that litigation was the litigation that began shortly after the state's botched executions of, of Mr. Lockett and Mr. Warner going back to 2015. And so, you know, when we when we think of you know how we got here, then Attorney General Scott Pruitt stood up in federal court and and said that the state would not resume executions until this matter was settled. Uh, in the interim, uh, we had a Department of Corrections of the director of DOC, uh, uh, Director Albaugh, uh, former Director Albaugh, stand up and say, we need more transparency in this process. He even stated that he had been trying to uh, uh, procure drugs on the Indian subcontinent. You know, they, they were going to these links that, you know, just seem absurd and potentially criminal uh, to gather the drugs that they needed to carry out these executions. So fast forward earlier this year, the state of Oklahoma announces that they have a new uh, uh, lethal injection drug protocol. They begin setting execution dates in 2021. Um, you know, these individuals that have gone to the court and said, we want to be a part of this lawsuit. Julius Jones has said that they uh, is and uh, has said that he wanted to be a lawsuit. Mr. Gregg, who's uh, was slated for execution last night, um, Thursday night, um, he wanted to be a part of the lawsuit. A federal judge in the district court in Oklahoma, uh, in the Western District of Oklahoma, said, no, you can't be a part of the lawsuit. It goes to the Tenth Circuit. The Tenth Circuit says these individuals can be added to the lawsuit, sends it back to the district court. And then these individuals apply for a stay. They say, all right, we're part of this lawsuit. There's going to be a trial in February. If you execute us before the trial, we can't uh, enjoy these rights that were just recognized by the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. The district court judge in Oklahoma in the Western District, Judge Friat, said, nope. Too bad. Um, you can be a part of the lawsuit, but your execution dates are moving forward, which seemed totally uh, inconsistent with what the Tenth Circuit had uh, had suggested. And so now went back to the Tenth Circuit. They put the stays in place. Um, the other things that kind of happened there is that it's probably going to delay the commutation hearing for uh, Julius Jones because you have to have an execution date to have a commutation hearing. The other thing that's worth mentioning is a separate lawsuit that was filed a couple of weeks ago against the Department of Corrections. In that, an individual had requested very basic information about Oklahoma's updated drug protocols. Mm -hmm. DOC's response to that open records request was to say, we have no responsive records. They issued that response twice. Now, that's either a brazen lie or an admission that they violated the Open Records Act. That case is in Oklahoma County District Court right now. So the, the state has never told us, you know, the transparency that former Director Albaugh was, was asking for, we've never got that. The state has never told us, uh, you know, what this updated drug protocol is that they plan to execute uh, individuals with. The state Supreme Court put three anti-abortion laws on hold. The bills putting restrictions on the practice joined two others stopped from taking effect on Monday. The justices say the three measures were placed on hold while a legal challenge against them continues. Ryan, how does the stay affect the challenge against these bills? Well, all it, all it really affects is that it preserves the status quo. Uh, you know, the courts you know came out and they, you know, you can't enact implement or enforce these laws until we've had an opportunity to rule on the merits of, of uh, the litigation here and the challenges here. Um, you know, all of these bills that have been either put on hold by a district court in Oklahoma County or by now the, the state Supreme Court act as you know, functional uh, obstacles um, or make receiving an abortion in the state of Oklahoma a functional impossibility. Uh, we've seen for years that uh, organizations and individuals that have been opposed to reproductive rights um, have stopped just running bills that would you know, ban abortion outright, but instead have been you know, tinkering around the margins. You know, everything from 
um, you know, trying to regulate the square footage and uh, the the design layout of abortion clinics uh, in a way that just doesn't make any sense. Um, and to require individual doctors to have certain certain certifications to attack the uh, use of medical abortions. You know, those are all things that um, the the state state legislature and the governors, uh, in this case, Governor Stitt, have signed in an effort to make it impossible to get an abortion without outright banning abortions. That's been uh, the tenor of, of recent case law. And we've seen even in Texas uh, with SB8, mm-hmm. you know, there uh, the Supreme Court did something different. They allowed the law to go into effect, but didn't rule on the actual substantive challenge. So we still have, you know, the arguments about, you know, how this would change things. But the stay makes perfect sense because if they begin to enforce these laws, it would be a, a very significant disruption of the status quo and the constitutional rights that Oklahoma women currently currently have. Speaker Steele. Sure. So um, there's no question that the, the stay is the right decision as the um, various legal issues surrounding the, these uh, potential um, uh, laws or this legislation are sorted out. Um, I believe there was actually even an omission by the state of Oklahoma that indicated a, uh, at least two of these per, these these bills actually are in violation of Roe versus Wade, um, and I, I think that's significant. Um, here's the deal: uh, I don't think anyone or not many people in Oklahoma desire uh, abortions for anyone. Um, I mean, it's not ideal, uh, and and you know, God forbid that that might be a situation that any of us find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I think empathy, I think understanding, I think some grace is what's important here. And if a person finds themselves in a situation um, that that they may need this sort of, of, of medical care, we would certainly want them to have that in a safe, legitimate environment rather than driving people into um, situations that are not safe or healthy. Again, it's not ideal. I don't think it's anything that that the majority of Oklahomans, you know, uh, condone or approve of. But we also have to uh, be reasonable and understand that there are situations sometimes that happen in life that that um, are, are less than desirable. And when that happens, we want to make sure that that, that people are properly taken care of. Um, that being said, I, you know, it, it's it's the right thing to do to to put these issues on hold until the, the legal issues can be sorted out. Speaker Steele, I've got a question about the, uh, again, just like executions, we had a lower court basically say that these three bills did not need a stay. They did not, they, they could still go forward until it got to a higher court. And again, with execution, same thing. You've got a judge saying one thing and the appellate court saying another. Is there concern that there is not any consistency here between these lower courts and these upper courts? Um. I, for you know, for me, it's a matter of checks and balances within the judicial system. Uh, I think it's actually working the way it's supposed to. Uh, I think that that's why we have an appeals process. That's why we have higher courts and lower courts, and there is room uh, for the decisions within those various uh, jurisdictions to disagree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, I think that this is validation that the appeals process and the accountability within the judicial system is is working at, at least in this regard. Ryan same question do you feel worried that there that there is a, that 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 that's having to be appealed and and it's different decisions from both a lower court and a higher court. You know I think that that is and I agree with speaker Steele I I think that this is the the way it should work um you know we we do have uh you know, deference that 
that these appellate courts, I mean, there, there are you know, different standards of deference that appellate courts have to treat lower court decisions with. Um, and so, you know, oftentimes in a, in a case like this, the, the, the Supreme Court doesn't just walk in and, you know, um, and just disregard what the lower court has decided. Um, you know, they will give that some deference. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, they are, um, they're, in, they're in a position to, you know, to review everything on their own and make their own conclusions. And, you know, and I think, too, that, you know, when you look at the way that our appellate courts are set up, um, you know, they are provided some greater insulation. Right. And so, um, you know, a, a district court judge is a is, you know, generally a trier of, of fact. Um, you know, they're, they're making decisions that um, are you know, really on the ground in a community. And, you know, the appellate courts can you know, be a little bit more uh, you know, studied and, and, and uh, perhaps you know, not feel like they have to, uh, you know, just, you know, you know, make, make a, uh, a more rushed decision. You know, they, they, they have a little bit more time with these things. So I think that it works the way that it's supposed to. Um, and, you know, I would say that one of the things to kind of look, look for here is, um, well, the other thing I would say is that appellate courts have more resources, uh, than the mm -hmm. district courts too. I mean, if you, if you talk to you know, district court judges, uh, they're, their ability to really dig into these things is pretty limited. I mean, their dockets are, are you know, really full uh, and their time is really stretched thin. The other thing that I would say is that I think that this is a preview of what we'll see uh, in the state legislative session coming up in 2022. Uh, reproductive rights are going to be at the forefront. We're going to see laws like SB8 in Texas introduced in you know, I'd say like, a, a, you know, at least in Oklahoma, but in, in most of your conservative red states, you'll see these bills introduced. And just a reminder to our listeners, what that does is that <clears throat> rather than the government enforcing a ban on on abortions, uh, it uh, enables, uh, empowers private citizens and private organizations to use the power of civil courts uh, to essentially prohibit abortions. Um, so we'll see if that happens in Oklahoma. The other thing to look for, and I heard a commentator say this, is that perhaps if if you can get around constitutional prohibitions by the government outsourcing it to private entities, uh, we might see that with things like gun laws as well in the, in the, in blue states. A couple of big events concerning McGirt versus Oklahoma this past week, four friend of the court briefs were filed to overturn the U S Supreme court's decision last year. The amicus briefs join our state in trying to overturn the ruling on tribal reservations and has been decried by the Greater Tulsa Indian Affairs Commission. Also, the Court of Criminal Appeals ruled the Quapaw Nation boundaries were never disestablished, moving McGirt beyond the five civilized tribes. Speaker Steele, what do you think of these news stories? Well, um, first of all, I think um, I think it's important that um, as Oklahomans, we play to our strengths. I think the fact that we have 39 uh, recognized uh, sovereign tribes within the jurisdiction of our state is a gift. I think it's, it's, a, it's a value add. And I think that the focus ought to be on collaboration, working together, rather than um, continually trying to point fingers and, and blame somebody else or, or you know, create this, this animosity uh, between our tribal partners. Uh, I support the McGirt decision. Um, I think that, that this gives us an opportunity to begin to uh, right um, hundreds of years of wrong, of, of neglecting the treaties that were set in place by the federal government. Uh, I think the premise is important. Listen, I know it's a challenging situation. I know it's going to require some creativity and it's going to require some additional work. But at the end of the day, it is 
super important that individuals receive um, a, a jury hearing by their peers. That, that, that's very, very important. It's also important that we recognize and validate the treaties that have been established for a number of years. I would just go back and say one of the most poignant uh, statements that I've heard in 2021 occurred when the governor and several prosecutors held a, a forum in Tulsa to talk about their their concerns about the McGurk case. And there were several Native uh, American individuals, uh, original people that were there to protest. And one of the district attorneys uh, literally was beating the table, pounding the table with a red face and said to the audience, you don't understand, we are here to represent victims. That's what the district attorney said, to which one of the protesters, one of the Native American women responded, you don't understand, we are the victims. Uh, we've been a victim for, for decades and for hundreds of years. So ultimately, I, I, I would wish um, that, that various jurisdictions, both cities, counties, especially the state, would see the opportunity to work with our tribal partners to incorporate processes and procedures that would allow a fair hearing among a person's peer uh, peers in, in any and every situation. Ryan. Well, yeah, I think, you know, Speaker Steele's right. He said that it's a challenging situation, but the state's, or at least Governor Stitt's response to the fact that it being a challenging situation is to dig it even further. Uh, when in reality, <clears throat> the better response I mean, there is a roadmap here. I mean, to the extent that there are challenges that emanate from the McGirt decision, <clears throat> there is a roadmap that allows us to, to move forward. That roadmap is to go to Congress, you know, to the extent that we need laws from Congress to empower the state and tribes to reach further compacting um, around different issues uh, in criminal jurisdiction or even you know, possibly future uh, you know, civil jurisdiction issues. That, that's the roadmap. The other roadmap is the roadmap that tribes and communities in Oklahoma have been using for a very long time now, and that's just building relationships and working together. We see this every day uh, in communities, large and small, but especially smaller communities, where tribes have become the best friend of those county commissioners, the best friend of those city com uh, city councilors. Uh, they are you know, of, of the people that need a hospital, of the people that need health care, of the people that need infrastructure. The tribes have been there. And that's not by accident. That's because you have partnerships and uh, relationships that are built on good faith. And so we have a roadmap forward, you know, to the extent, again, that there are challenges that come out of McGirt. The way to deal with them isn't to try to overturn McGirt. It's to say, all right, we're going to, you know, the state of Oklahoma, I, I, I do not understand um, you know, why the uh, the Stitt administration um, can't at some point just recognize that this is the reality. They don't have to like it. They don't have to raise a white flag, but just recognize that this is the reality, because I think it would be a much more productive path moving forward. But instead, what we hear are claims that were echoed in this amicus brief that uh, Cherokee Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin has said, do not hold water. These claims don't hold water. Uh, we're, we're continually told that the sky is falling and it's just not. Um, so for Mayor Bynum to, to move forward with this amicus brief that asserts a lot of false claims and false narratives about the post-McGirt reality, to me, is 
runs in the face of the the better model of good faith partnerships uh, with the tribes and municipal governments. Were you surprised? I read in the in the Tulsa World and in our reporting from Allison Herrera that city council members of Tulsa had no idea this amicus brief was even going to be issued. Are you surprised that the city council wasn't told by the attorneys that they were going to do this, that the mayor went forward with this without any consultation with his counselors? It was a terrible move. I, I was very surprised to hear about that. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, many counselors were surprised to hear about that because what this does is that even this amicus brief is not going to change the outcome of, of what happens, you know, should the United States Supreme Court consider, even consider overturning in part or in full its decision in McGurk. This amicus brief won't change, uh, change that. This is really a political gesture by Mayor Bynum to this uh, to Governor Stitt, uh, I don't I don't know what for, uh, but it comes at a great expense to the city of Tulsa, and that is the city of Tulsa's ability to have good faith relationships with the tribal governments uh, that it shares jurisdiction with. Michael, could I? Yeah, I just, please. I I don't want to be redundant, but I just want to underscore. I, I don't have a differing opinion from what Ryan just presented, but I do want to go back and underscore that that the in, in my my take is this, the, the McGirt decision is not only right, um, it should be accepted as reality and it ought to be embraced as an opportunity. I mean, this is an opportunity to strengthen our relationships, our, our partnerships, our collaborations um, with our tribal partner. Again, it's, it's, a, it's, it's unique to Oklahoma and it's a gift to Oklahoma and, and to, to be able to have this opportunity. And I think that we ought to we ought to find a way to, to, to make it work and take advantage of, of strengthening our relationships. Orion's and Speaker Steele's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. And programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.